Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi, thanks for joining today. Today we have on Shanna Stolfadian, and Shanna is 46 years old. She's had diabetes for 42 years, so she has quite a bit of life experience with type 1 diabetes. And I think her story is really fascinating because she's seen the management of diabetes change several times over the course of her lifetime. And I think it's really interesting to hear how she's managed through all of those changes. Shanna is someone that discovered intermittent fasting, not necessarily for weight loss, but more for controlling blood sugars, specifically her blood sugars overnight. Shanna uses a 18-6 protocol for her intermittent fasting. And she keeps it pretty simple, but she's had really great results. I can't wait for you to hear her story. She's very honest about her experiences, and I think you're really going to resonate with a lot of the things that she has to say. So I hope you enjoy it. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm so glad to speak to you today. Before we get started, do you want to just give us like a little bit of an introduction so that people can get a sense for who you are? Okay. My name is Shanna, and I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was four years old, and that was in 1980, so that was a long time ago, and I'm a kindergarten teacher. I have two kids, ten and a 10-year-old son and 13-year-old daughter, and I am in the process of a divorce. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> Look, we're all going through stuff in our lives, so thank you for that extra detail. Yeah. And I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, but that's the closest thing to our small town. So, Gotcha. Gotcha. So you've had diabetes since 1980. That was a year that I was born. So I'm a little bit younger than you. I can't imagine what the management must have been like in 1980 and onward. Maybe you can kind of just take us through some of the things you've experienced. I, you know, you're like a walking history book when it comes to diabetes management. Yeah, I I really do feel like I have seen so many things happen with it. And obviously, I mean, I was four, I think I just turned four, and I don't remember much before that, but I do remember when I was first diagnosed, I we did not even have a glucometer at like we had no way to test my blood sugar at home. I actually had to go to the urinate in a cup, in a little, you know, cup from the hospital. And my mom would stick the dip strip in kind of like the ketone strips, but this read your sugar, your blood sugar. And I remember rolling the thing around. There was that little sticky label and it would say like 80 to 120. It was this color and 120 to 160 was this color and 160 to two. 20 was this. And so I remember like always looking at it with my mom and saying, Oh, I think it's between this and this. So, you know, we didn't even have 
a real true idea of what my sugar was during the day. I remember like, you know, when I didn't, I, I do remember this when I didn't have to go to the bathroom or something and she would need to get my sugar before I ate. I remember her turning the sink on and having me sit and bringing me glasses and glasses of water and watching the water run and trying to make me have to go to the bathroom just because she needed to get that. So, you know, luckily my mom was a nurse and that situation because she had worked in children's hospital in Detroit and she had worked with children who had it before. Not that it made it easy, but at least she was familiar and kind of knew what she had to do. So, you know, eventually I think my first glucometer was like as big as a you know, like a Chromebook sort of. And I remember having that at home and it took, I remember it took like a minute or longer to get your reading. So, you know, you think about it now, it takes five seconds or you just hold it up to whatever CGM you have and you can get it wirelessly and all this crazy stuff. So, um, you know, and, and when I started, I was obviously on injections. It was pork insulin. It wasn't, you know, Humalog or the, um, you know, the whatever it is, synthetic, um, or, you know, man-made insulin. Now it was actually pork. It was made from pig. Um, yeah, know, I know the insulins have definitely improved over time. Did you, when your mom was testing your blood sugar, both when you were doing, when you were doing the pee on the stick and get the, the reading that way or doing, you know, a, when you finally got a glucometer, I don't, do you remember how many times a day you were injecting insulin and did she adjust your dose depending on how high your blood or, you know, low your blood sugar was? Um, yeah, she, I'm trying to think, I feel like it was more of like, um, I had to take a long acting and a short acting and I took them together. So the long acting, I remember I would have these, you know, we would look at these papers, these charts, and there were like peak times with the pork insulin. So I remember seeing, you know, her looking and trying to figure out like when the peak time was of the long acting and then the regular, you know, it wasn't like based on carbs. It wasn't based on, I don't really know what it was based on, but I remember I just would give like, like say five units of regular with my 10 units of long acting in the morning. And then my dinner time dose was say eight units of regular and, and a certain amount of long acting to get me through the night. So I, I took two shots a day for most of my childhood. I remember, um, you know, morning I took both and by dinner time I took both again to get me through the mornings. So, um, so that's the way it started. And then I think when I would go to my doctor's appointments, they would look and they would say like, Oh, you know, we're going to adjust your morning dose or something like that. So, um, you know, it was, it just seems so crazy that, that that's the way it was, but, um, I, yeah. I didn't have good control really at all. <laughs> yeah. I remember even in my early days of, you know, 1997, when I was diagnosed, it was, they managed it with such, it was just so blunt how everything was managed. You know, it just yeah. like right now there's, when you have your CGM and you have algorithms on your pump and it's just, there's so much nuance to how you manage diabetes now. And I think back on my early days, which are much later than your early days, it just seems like it was such a blunt instrument, but you didn't know any different. So like, that's just the way it was. And yeah. do you remember, I remember getting A1Cs in 1997. Do you remember the first time you got an A1C? 
Um, I remember having when I was younger because I I remember getting yelled at by the doctors at Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh, and um, I remember they were high, like my A1Cs were high, and I'm trying to think if I was diagnosed in '80, then like '90 would would make me. 10 years old. And I want to say it was around the early nineties that I remember. Um, and I think my A1C was probably like 12 once and, um, you know, between like 10 and 12. And I just remember, I just remember hating going to those appointments because I felt like everybody just was always yelling at me and just like, you know, saying I needed to do this and I needed to, have, I just, I just remember being so upset. And I used to tell my mom, like, they don't understand. They're not like, they're not diabetics. They don't understand like how hard it is to, to do this. And especially back then there was like no way with the, with the insulin I was on, there was no way to like really control it well. So, so I do remember that part of it. I used to just cry. And I think my mom would give me like rewards if my A1C was lower or, you know, um, things like that. So yeah, it was, it was frustrating at that time because I felt like I was just always not doing things right. Even though, I mean, I've always eaten healthy. I've never, you know, and I, I don't remember anything, like I said before. So it wasn't like the, I know when kids get it just because I've been a teacher for a long time. I know when kids get it, like when they're older, it's that period of time, like that they're mad. Like they don't want to have it. They want to live the way they live. They want to eat whatever they want to eat. And I didn't necessarily have that, but it was more just like when my sugar was really low, I would eat because, you know, you feel like you're, you're shaking to death and you just have a bottomless pit in your stomach. And I would eat anything and everything like cake and just to make myself feel not so shaky and not so terrible. And, um, I remember the big thing, like at one time was like, you yelled at me because like, you have to have something specific that you take when you're low, whether it's a glass of juice and a cracker or whether it's, um, you know, five glucose tabs, which were terrible at that time. I remember they were a big square that we called them horse tablets. Actually, my family called them horse tablets. They were like this big and they tasted like soap. I remember they, they were, and they were in those foil pouches. It's so crazy to think back. And now they taste like candy, you know, like the ones, the and they taste like good. So, so that was, you know, I remember, um, that part of it, like specifically them wanting me to have like a strategic plan for what to do when I'm low, like it always needs to be the same so they can adjust it, you know, so that I don't skyrocket after I'm low, which I always do anyway. So, yeah, I remember those days too. I remember, especially in those early days, I don't feel like I get a lot of these lows anymore, especially not now that I've been on loop and stuff like that. The, those, what, those lows where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just drenched in sweat. Those are the ones where I would just eat the whole kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Bad lows. I, I, I still get those every, every once in a while now. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of what, what is your current, how do you manage your diabetes now? 
Um, so I'm on a pump. I went on the pump for the first time when it was enormous as well. And it didn't disconnect from your body. And I was in college. So it would have been like 95, 96. Can I interrupt you for a second? What do you mean Uh it didn't disconnect from your body? Like, how did you, how did that work? (laughs) So I had to take, you know, I lived in the dorm and I had to take a shower bag with me to the, to the dorm, you know, ladies bathroom and the shower bag held the pump and I hung it on the, the faucet or the not, you know, the faucet in the shower. So it didn't, um, it, it didn't, it didn't have like a cannula where you could take it. Okay. I got it. I I was imagining that like you had to go to the doctor's office and they would change it out every few months or okay. I got you. Sorry. Yeah. I'm I'm a little slow today. I understand what you're saying now. (laughs) Yeah, no, it just didn't like quick disconnect. And I don't even know about, I don't remember about like the actual cannula taking that out. I don't think you could do that at that time either. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but I remember putting my pump like while I was walking in my little shower caddy that I would take to the bathroom with my shampoo and everything in it and then hanging it up. And it was, and actually I was only on that pump for a short period of time because it was so inconvenient and awkward at that time, at that age time in my life. Um, I did not like it. (laughs) And I didn't go back on it for a long time, um, probably until I was about, I, I was probably mid-20s, I would say. Okay, so then you got to an, you got onto a newer type pump, and then I assume you've had several pumps over the years now at this point. Yeah, I have. I've always been on, and I don't even know if anything else existed when I first got mine, but I've always been on Medtronic. Um, and I'm on the 670G right now, but I've been trying. So, you know, with, with the four-year insurance, you know, upgrade or warranty or whatever, um, I, I just think it, it just, it's frustrating to me. I've spent like hours and hours and hours on the phone with different people, insurance and the pump companies, because, um, I feel my doctor said it too. He's like, we need to get you on a different pump. We need to get like, you know, things need to be a little better. And when I got the six, I think I upgraded from the 630 to the 670. And when I did that, it was the best around. It was the only one that had the, you know, the auto mode or the looping system. Um, It was the only one, you know, T-Slim wasn't even like, tandem. I don't even ever remember hearing that. Um, the, the Omnipod was out there, but I actually have such a high, I'm like super insulin sensitive. So at that time, um, when I was due for a new pump, the Omnipod didn't go low enough. Like the basal rates, you couldn't adjust them, uh, low enough. Like I think their first lowest rate was 0.5 and mine went down to like the 10th of a unit. So I am on for some time, actually now it's like 0.05 or something like that. But so I couldn't get the Omnipod for that reason because of the insulin sensitivity and needing like less than what they could give. Um, 
So I have until November of this year, but I did last year. I spent so much time trying to get out of, you know, my doctor wrote letters of, of need. And, um, you know, I have all the data to show it. And it was like, it was just, I think I could pay the thousand dollars to basically rent the tandem, but it was just a big giant hassle. So, so I have it and I'm just, I have the one I have it with the guardian, um, CGM that goes with the Medtronic, but, um, you know, it doesn't have the phone option. Like I can't ever see my, you know, uh, graphs and charts and everything, unless I print them out or just that little tiny one on the screen of, of my pump. So, um, you know, so there's so many better options out there now that it just, it's frustrating to know that like the doctor says that something would be better for me and it's just not really easy to get that, you know? I know I went, I went through the exact same thing because I was on the, um, animus paying the Johnson and Johnson pump and then they discontinued and they said, you need to get a new pump. And so, like you said, Medtronic 67DG was the first like kind of closed loop system that was available Mm -hmm. at that time. And so I got on it and it just like the guardian would always cut out and I just had a lot of problems keeping it in auto mode. And a lot of times the guardian was wrong. So it was dosing off of wrong blood blood Mm -hmm. sugars. And I just, it didn't work for me either. And like you, I spent a lot of time on the phone trying to get the situation rectified. I finally did, but I know different insurance companies have different sensitivities and it's not always easy to negotiate with them. So I get it. And I know a lot of people listening and a lot of people that have been guests on my show love the Medtronic. It's just a personal, you know, it's personal what pump you use, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, I never really had a problem with it. I was happy to have the auto mode. I mean, I remember being really excited when that was brand new. Um, I think just, you know, it's it's such a competitive market because so many people use them now that when, um, you know, when one's trying to compete and do something better than the next, I mean, I would absolutely love to have the option of seeing that on my phone or, you know, being able to to dose through the phone or all of the stuff that's out there now. And, you know, it's just, I just figured, I guess I can wait. It's less You'll than get a year. There. Yeah. It's not yeah. that far off. Um, so what, what, so you're using the guardian CGM, you're using the Medtronic pump. What insulin are you on? Uh, I've always, well, in, for insurance reason, it's gone between Novolog, Humalog, and I just had to switch to a new one. That's Lispro. Okay. Lispro which um that was for insurance and i had to switch pharmacies and all that stuff so they say it's the same (laughs) and i I really didn't have any trouble switching you know ever i know some people like have trouble with that i really didn't um okay so so we know what your how you manage your diabetes and then so maybe you can tell us when you found intermittent fasting and how long ago that that was okay so um you know being that my mom was a nurse and I grew up with diabetes, I sort of always ate pretty healthy. I've always been pretty active, never really had, um, like a weight problem or anything, but, um, after I had my two kids, obviously I gained, you know, some weight and my marriage was sort of on the rocks. And, um, I felt, I don't know if I had like, I don't know if it was like a midlife crisis. I don't know if it was just some kind of mental breakdown or something, but at, 
in 2019, before um, before the whole COVID, it was either 18, 18, 19, around then, um, I, I got really, really upset that I just felt like I was not taking care of myself. Like I used to, you know, back in the day before I had kids, I used to walk my dog. I would, I mean, I was so active. I would go to the Y, I would bike, I would do all kinds of things. And for some reason in like 2018, 19, I just got I just came to the realization that like, I do nothing for myself anymore. Like I, you know, my sugars were not the greatest. Um, my eating was out of control because I am a stress eater. Um, and I could see myself like putting on weight, not to the point that it was like probably noticeable or, or that I was like overweight on the scale or anything, but I could definitely see myself going down that road. So. Um, I had heard, oh, I know I went, I actually went to Weight Watchers with a group of friends of mine. So I started going to Weight Watchers and, um, you know, I really liked Weight Watchers. I, I thought that it really, um, was like a good, healthy way of eating because I love carbs. So all of the people that I had known that had done, um, you know, keto and it back in the day, like it was at the Atkins diet and all those different different diets. Um, I just never even saw myself being able to do that because I like carbs. And, um, so when I went to Weight Watchers, I was really happy with that. And then in the meantime, I had, um, talked to some friends who had started doing intermittent fasting and I really didn't know anything about it. And I had always, always eaten breakfast no matter what, and, you know, eaten the, the meals. And then I, I am also, I do not sleep a lot <laughs> because I'm extremely busy with my job and my life. Um, I would eat a lot at night when I was doing my schoolwork on the computer or what laundry or whatever I would eat at night just to keep myself awake because I wanted to go to sleep, but I had so much to do. So when I heard that friends of mine were doing this intermittent fasting, I kind of started to research and look into it. And I was also going to Weight Watchers at that time. Um, and so I just decided to give it a try. And when I did, I started, I lost like so much weight right away that, that actually it was kind of embarrassing because the Weight Watchers lady was like, do you think you need to be here? And I was like, I don't know. I felt I didn't like that she did that because I, you know, I explained that like I was just going down a bad road and I didn't want to get to that point where I had to be there. So, um, but I did, I lost, a, I lost so much weight. Um, and I, so I started eating healthy. I was doing intermittent fasting. I stopped going to Weight Watchers, but I still kind of followed the same, like I knew at that point, like points and I just knew things. Um, and I just, got back into exercising. So I was like doing everything right. And, you know, it was really, it was really amazing. But then I noticed too, that my, my blood sugars were so much better. My A1C was so much better. I felt better. Um, I just, I couldn't believe because I was always like, my blood sugar would always be inconsistent in the morning. My fasting, fasting sugar, which would be from one o'clock in the morning would be the last time I ate something 
to keep myself awake. And then I get up at 5.30 for work. So, you know, like four or five hours was my fasting time when I used to eat like I did, um, which really isn't a long time to go without food. So my sugars in the morning were never really good. They were, you know, they might be high 300s. They might be low if I covered something incorrectly. Um, they just went up and down. And I was really shocked and amazed at the my fasting sugars in the morning when I would do the intermittent fasting. They were just perfectly consistent 100, like 80 to 120, like what I wanted them to be. And granted, every once in a while, like um, I think my period like throws things off as far as like, you know, hormones and, and with stress, I do get a lot of like changes with my sugar that are just absolutely unpredictable. Like whether it's highs or lows or just things don't make sense at all. And sometimes, you know, like my sight would be bad or all of that was in there too. But for the most part, it was consistently good in the morning. And that was like really motivating to me to kind of continue with that. And even if I wasn't trying to lose weight, just to maintain and keep my sugars like better controlled. So what's your eating? So how, what are your typical, okay. So you started out and you cut breakfast, but then you were eating, when did you cut out the eating at night? And then what is your current eating window slash fasting period? Okay. So, so I started out and I still do the same. Um, I do the 18 and six and, um, I stop eating at 7 PM and I don't eat until 11 AM, which, and I can't even tell you how much this actually changed my life for the better because I was always so stressed out in the morning trying to eat breakfast. I don't have time in the morning to eat breakfast. I really don't. I never have. I have two kids. We, we, you know, I worked at the school that they went to. If they weren't ready for school, I was late for work. You know, we would, I'd go to work with wet hair and just, you know, things were crazy in the mornings trying to get ready for work and school. And to not have to, I mean, I would eat breakfast in the car. I would take it with me. I would try to eat it before I left. There was just no, I had no system. And when I, when I researched and, you know, talked to my doctor and and realized that it was okay and actually like good for me to not eat breakfast, I, it felt like a big weight was lifted off my shoulders that I didn't have to eat breakfast. (laughs) Like, like you've always been told breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, like that's, that's the way I was raised. And that's the way I think everybody has always thought. So, um, so, that's so how do you I'm manage? Doing. So you open up around 11 AM and I know you're a teacher, so it's not like you can just eat whenever you want. Like, I guess you have to eat around breaks and things like that. Or, or how does that work? Yeah. So it actually worked out perfectly for me to do that because, um, over the, well, since I started the intermittent fasting, my lunch time at school has always been between 1130, a couple years, it was like 1130. Um, this year it's 1105. Sometimes it changes, but I always teach kindergarten. So it's always like the first lunch. Um, so really that's the first opportunity that I have to eat. So, I mean, it couldn't work out more perfectly. And, um, you know, sometimes like I, 
I have the longest fast I've ever done was I did 20 hours one time and it was just, it just happened because I was really busy and I just didn't have time to eat. And my, I kind of like to do it too with my pump that to see my basal rates, because really when I don't eat, my sugars are perfect. I mean, they're perfect. So I know my basal rates in my pump are correct. And I know it's just, you know, what messes things up is like carb counting. If I don't do it right, if I don't, you know, if it just doesn't work for some reason, or if I forget, or if I do it too late or too soon, all of that stuff really just kind of, you know, that's what throws, throws me off. If I didn't have to eat ever, my sugars would probably be perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. I, know, I know the feeling. So when you eat, you know, at your 1105 break, after that, do you eat snacks in between when you eat dinner or you kind of just eat your lunch and then eat dinner and then call it a day? Um, so I eat my lunch and that's what I was going to say about the longer fasts. Sometimes I'm so busy at lunchtime because kindergarten, you cannot do anything with them in the room. So the only times I have when my students are not with me is a half hour for my lunch which by the time I go to the bathroom and get my mail from my mailbox, it's like 15 minutes. So I usually eat like a, a small lunch at that time. If I don't have time to eat, then I will wait until my prep period, which is my only other time without my students. Um, and that's at 1.10 this year. And it's pretty consistently around one o'clock. Um, so sometimes I won't eat until um, one. So, you know, I go between the 18 and six and 17 and seven. And then sometimes, um, what's the other one? 19 and 19.5. Yeah. That's, that's the one I typically yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so I, so I do eat like, if I eat at that 11 o'clock lunchtime, I usually eat something quick and, and fast, whether it's like a cheese stick and a yogurt or, Sometimes I'll just have my drink of coffee because I like coffee creamer. And so I wait, you know, for the coffee. Um, and then at my prep, I might eat like something else. If I brought, you know, if I have a fruit, a banana, um, a pack of crackers, a bag of, you know, popcorn or whatever I have with me. If I packed a good lunch, then I have it. And then when I get home, um, you know, depending on like my kids are really involved in sports and, um, my daughter's in drama and acting and plays and, and I just feel like we're always running. So I'm usually shoving some kind of dinner in my mouth. My mom makes dinner for us a lot, which I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 40, I'm going to be 46 years old and my mom still makes dinner for us just because we're so busy and yeah. So, you know, but I, but I usually eat so fast and just, and my mom makes good, healthy food. And if I eat on my own, I usually have like a salad, a chicken salad with some carb with it, you know, a half of a bagel or a piece of toast or some kind of crackers or something and usually a fruit. So, um, and, you know, I, I snack here and there. I try not to, like when I'm doing really well, I try not to, but when I'm really stressed out, I do come home. Um, I also do try to give myself because I do, I like sweets. I like carbs. I do try to give myself like some piece of chocolate every day. Like I eat something chocolate almost every day, I would say, whether it's like one, like, um, truffle or one little candy bar or, 
you know, something I do try to do that just because I feel like if you don't, then you always want that. And then I just feel like when I deprive myself of something, I feel like then when I finally eat it, I just overindulge and that's never good. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of intermittent fasting. You know, you can, you can do that and still maintain your weight. It's just, the nice thing is, is once you have closed your window in your mind that you're not going back and saying, well, it's 1am. I kind of want another piece of chocolate right now. So, you know, that doesn't probably doesn't happen to you anymore. Right. And it is, I mean, I think it's a mental thing. Like when I do it really consistently, I, I don't feel the need to do that. I don't feel hungry, but, or I just don't even feel like I want to, but like I said, when I'm like super stressed out about something or something's just weighing on me, then I'll, I'll like, you know, break it, but it's so easy to, to just go back the next day. And, you know, people say like they fell off the wagon or they stopped doing it. And I don't really look at it like that. I do look at it as more of like, this is my lifestyle every now and then like we're human, we make mistakes. And so Or I might want, my friends might be in from out of town on the weekend and I might be out with them and eating and maybe having a drink or two like into the wee hours of the night. So I do let myself do that. And, um, you know, my sugars might be off for a day or two, but I guess I just, I guess I'm at the point now where I just think I've lived this long and, and I just don't want to like you know, deprive myself. And I think that is, you're right, the beauty of the intermittent fasting, because too, like if, if my son has a basketball game and we eat dinner at eight o'clock at night, then I just, or maybe, maybe we order at eight, but it doesn't come until nine, you know, because restaurants are like that. And so then I just push my eating window up, you know, back two hours then, and I don't eat that lunch until my prep at one or sometimes after school, you know? So I think it is like so flexible that that's why it works for me because I'm just always need to be flexible because of my schedule and my kids, my job and everything else. So that makes sense. I mean, for me, and it sounds like for you too, when you have something that's too rigid, you just, you really can't stick with it. Like yesterday, for example, I just went nuts. I ate, I don't know why, you know, maybe it was hormonal. I'm not really sure, but I just ate my whole kitchen and yeah. I felt disgusting all the rest of the day. Somehow, through some miracle, the magic of loop, whatever you want to call it, my blood sugars didn't go crazy, even though I ate everything in sight. And then today yeah. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to have like a modified down day where I eat a 500 calorie meal. And then tomorrow I'll do like a full refeed because I just felt so gross that I did that. Um, but it's one of those things where if it had been any other quote unquote diet, I would have just been like, you know what? This diet doesn't work. I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. I agree. I I really, I agree. And I see it too. Like, I just feel like, you know, my dad or friends I have that are, they just seem to always be on like the, the diet, the fad diet that is in the news at that time. And, and I just see it, they lose a bunch of weight and then they gain it back and then they lose a bunch of weight. It's that roller coaster. And I, you know, I've, I've read and I've heard that that is just not good for you. And I think with this, I, I mean, I'm sure people, I'm sure it could happen, but I find at least for myself, um, that it, it doesn't really happen. You know, it's easier to make it not happen. Yeah. And you've been doing this for quite some time now. So you're, you know, you have some experience under your belt doing this. So you you can speak for, from that. So I appreciate knowing that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go ahead. 
I was just going to say like being a teacher, I, I will say too, like my summer is so much better. Like everything is always better. And I know, you know, my dad says it's the easiest job in the world because we have summers off, but like, I just know that at, in the summer, I'm not as stressed out. You know, I'm not as, not that I'm not busy because I still am, but like, I don't have the stress of school and all of that. So, you know, it's much easier for me to, to have that consistency and that schedule, that intermittent fasting schedule. Um, and just to plan things like to plan meals and to, to count carbs and to have time to like do things right. Like I'll never forget my doctor, like recently within the past couple years, um, she looked at my charts and graphs from my pump and she was like, they're always looking at them and they're always like, well, you know, you're going high at this time and looks like, oh, you're having a lot of lows and, and you're, and all this. And, and I just looked at her and I, she was like, well, why do you think you're going high at this time? Or why do you, and I was like, you know, I, I just, don't take the time to take care of myself like I should. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I don't have the time. And, you know, in a way, like, I'm better with that now than I was a couple years ago, because a couple years ago, I just, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I, what am I, what have I done? And I think it's a thing for women. Like they realize, you know, with having kids, I just think at one point you realize you're just living and it might sound terrible. I think I'm a good mom. Like I love my kids, but at one point I realized I am just, I am just a mom. Like I've totally lost every sense of myself. Like I, I, I did, I felt like I lost myself and I had to like get something back that, that I could, um, you know, that I could just have for myself. So, you know, exercising, taking care of yourself like that's something that I needed to do and um yeah and getting know. your blood sugars under control is like the ultimate form of self-care it really, right it really is yeah and I want to be like I want to be alive for them and I I look at myself like 42 years with this disease and you know I don't have a lot of complications I've had some eye you know laser treatments and some I actually had a vitrectomy in both eyes, but that's really as much as I've had, you know, I don't have, I'm not on any other medications or anything. So I think I've done well, but yeah, I mean, I could see myself really going down a bad road if I didn't start taking care of myself better. So, so it's helped, you know? So your doctor is supportive of intermittent fasting. Have, so what has have your A1Cs changed or is it just less variability with your blood sugar since you started intermittent fasting? Um so I would say between like late 2018 and 2000 late 2020 um I was really really I was really like doing intermittent fasting hardcore. Like I was consistent. I, I didn't really break, I didn't really break any rules. Um, and then I, I actually transferred schools this year. Um, and my kids, my daughter started at the high school. I transferred my son to a different school because I was in a different school now and it, the, the transportation wasn't going to work. Um, so I, 
feel like, I don't want to say I fell off the wagon, but I definitely didn't um, take as much time in doing it. You know, I, I didn't really put as much effort into it. And my A1Cs definitely went up. At one point when I was really, really hardcore fasting and like watching everything I ate and exercising a lot, my A1C was down. Um, it, it was like five point something, 5.8 maybe. And my doctor was actually real really upset. Like they, so I see a male doctor and the female um, physician's assistant in the practice. I go between the two of them, like alternating appointments every three months. So um, the, the female, she, she's always so concerned. I don't know if you are familiar, but like the insulin sensitivity that I have, um, she does not want my A1C that low. So I, she said I needed to like, you know, either start eating more or cut back some of the exercise or something. Like, I think they were really concerned at that time that, um, my sugars were like too low and, and she doesn't want, um, you know, most diabetics have insulin resistance, but I, on the other hand, like if I bolus for a meal and I don't eat within, I want to say like 10 minutes, if I don't eat within 10 minutes, it is dropping below 40. Like it's dropping three arrows down. It's going so fast that I can't even like eat enough fast enough to make it come back up. So she, with the A1C being lower and my sugars being lower in general with the exercise and eating really healthy and doing the intermittent fasting, um, she did not want me to go low that, you know, like she just didn't want me to go dangerously low. Um, do you think your settings are all, I know you said you feel like your basils are all right because you, during your fasting period, you have very good blood sugars, but do you think maybe your, uh, insulin to carb or insulin sensitivity, do you think maybe those are off a little bit? Cause it's, it's just strange to me that I, I totally get it. Like riding the low roller coaster is terrible. You know, you get your blood sugar back up and then it just falls again, or, you know, if it keeps falling right away, like it's, it's very frustrating. So I get being insulin sensitive. I just wonder if there's, if you've played around with those settings at all. Um, so I don't really change my settings. Um, I go to the doctor every three months and they adjust them. So they look at my charts and my graphs and they adjust you know, I have a different, um, insulin to carb ratio at different meals during the day. Um, I, I've gone, I I remember crying when I, even though they upset me, but I remember crying when I left children's, when they said I had to leave, I think I was like 20. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure I saw people that I knew there with their kids and I was still going to children's hospital when I was 20. So they finally said, you know, you have to find a grown up doctor. Um, but I, I've gone to several different doctors over the years and the one I see now, um, you know, people have different reactions to him. He is kind of sarcastic in his like interactions with people. And I just, I'm able to take it, but I truly feel that he knows exactly. He, I was his patient when I was, had my second pregnancy and my numbers were so much better with the second one because he was constantly changing things based on, you know, my, my graphs and my charts. So I feel like he knows, I, I feel like he knows what he's doing. Um, 
and I don't mess with them just because I'm afraid. Like I am actually, they said they're one of two of their most insulin sensitive patients. And so for that reason, I think I just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the settings are right just because they do them and I don't change them, you know? Yeah. Like I no, feel I, like I get I, it. I might mess them up. That's what I don't I'm think you would. Of. I mean, it's all like trial and error, you know, that's yeah. the whole thing with diabetes. As you know, it's just, it's a constant yeah. experiment on your body that, but right. Whatever you feel comfortable with is the right way to do it. There's no, yeah. there's no one answer yeah. to managing diabetes. I know, I know, and 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. I just have never really changed them much. Um, the only thing I do is like I'll cut. I'll do the temp target when I um, temporary target when I exercise. Um, you know, so because if I don't do that, then I will go low. Like for yeah. for. <laughs> there's no question I'll go low. Um, so that, yeah, that's really all I mess yeah. with on my phone. No, that, that makes, that makes perfect sense. So I, so one of the things that you had mentioned to me was, and we talked about this a little bit, but maybe you can just expand on it a little bit. I'm curious to get your feelings about it. Cause you've had diabetes for such a long time is your burnout. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if intermittent fasting helps with that because you have more stable blood sugars or if it's just a function of having had diabetes for so long, it's just, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I think, I mean, if I look back over the years, I think, and I mean, I guess like, I don't know what other people consider like burnout as far as diabetes, but I think of it as I just, I'm just so sick of being diabetic. I just want to be normal. And I think when I was in college, I felt that way. I, I just felt like for the first time I was on my own, I was out of my mom's house and I just felt like it was always attached to me. And, and I, I just, I think that was a period of time. That was a period in my life where I suffered from that. Um, you know, but I got back on track when I realized, you know, when I came to my senses, um, and then, you know, more now more that I have kids and I'm a mom and I have a job and I, I have to be responsible. I feel like now my burnout or my frustration really is with my pump. Like, uh, and, and I'll explain this to you, but I, some, my pump is always, and I mean, maybe this goes along with what you're saying with the settings and, and I've talked to my doctor too, and they know it. And that's why they were trying to get me a different, like they were trying to get the tandem pump and they said that it was better. And, um, and everybody I talked to like has the same, you know, that it's better that it, that their numbers are better, but my pump is constantly alarming. Like it's going low, going low, going low, going high, going high, going high. And no matter what I do, I know that after I eat, it's going to go higher, but the, the beeping and the vibrating and, you know, if I'm in the shower, I take my pump off. The shower is like the only time in my day where I'm just alone and it's quiet. And, and even sometimes my kids are yelling in at me. Like it's, it's not even always, but sometimes my pump will start sirening when I'm in the shower and I'm just like, I want to, and I've, I've said to people, sometimes I just want to throw it off a cliff and just, 
it, I mean, it makes me, sometimes when I hear, hear that, it just makes me cringe. Like I can't stand the, and I know it keeps me alive. Like it's such a weird, it's a weird thing because I know I need it. I know I can't throw it off a cliff. I know it keeps me alive and it does a much better job than I did with injections. Um, and I was at the end before my pump, I was giving like five to 10 injections a day because at that time it was like Lantus for 24 hours. And then I just had to give a shot every time I ate. And if I was in college and I was eating all the time, then I was giving like 10 shots a day. So, you know, the pump has been a lifesaver. I I couldn't have imagined it when I was younger. Um, you know, and so I think that right now, at least for the past, like year, year and a half, two years, that has been my, my burnout, my frustration. It, it alarms all night long. Like I don't sleep. I, I stay up late to work, but then I never sleep soundly because it just constantly. And you know, whether I hit the buttons to stop it in the middle of the night in my sleep, whether I get up and test and I'm low and I eat or whatever's going on, like I just feel like it's just never, it's just always there. It's always making noise. It's always vibrating. It's always telling me I need to do something. And I just, you know, when I'm driving in the car and I'm late for my kids practice or we're late for an appointment and, and then it starts vibrating and I have to take my seatbelt off and try to look at it when I'm driving and try to you know, whatever I have to do, whether I have to cover because I'm high or eat something because I'm low, I just, it's just, it's, it just gets to me to a point like I do. I wish I could just throw it in the river or throw it out the car window. That's what I want to do. So I totally um, resonate with that. And it will get better once you switch to something else, because like with the loop, for example, I can shut off and I, on the Dexcom, you can shut off all alarms if you want to. So I have yeah. everything on vibrate and I have like a really tight range on my Dexcom. But if I get annoyed with all the alerts and stuff from the vibrating, I turn that off too. Cause sometimes I'm like, yeah. you, I just can't handle another alarm. Like it just makes you yeah. insane. So I totally yeah. get that. <laughs> it, it really does. Like it'll go off in a meeting with parents or just, it, yeah. And, and I can, um, I think I can shut the alarms off on my pump, but I'm also a little bit like my doctor doesn't want me to shut them off because I have over the years, like I'm not, I'm still aware of my lows. Um, and I think I read, I don't know if it was a question or that I read somewhere that like with the intermittent fasting, sometimes, um, people who have, maybe I heard it on, maybe I heard it on one of your podcasts talking to another guest, but, um, you know, people who have, become unaware of their lows over the years when they start the intermittent fasting they become more aware like it makes you and um i i think that probably has happened because there were a few years there where like after when my kids were babies and toddlers and i had a couple really really scary oh my gosh like scary things happen where i didn't know that was before i had the cgm And I think it was available and I didn't like it because it was one more thing attached to my body and I just didn't want to have to deal with it. And after, after I had a couple things where like, I did not sense that I was going low, um, 
I went on the CGM and I haven't been off it since. And, um, so, you know, when, like, if it goes bad or something like my doctor is like adamant that I always have that on. And, um, but I do feel like I, I can detect my lows. I can feel them more now, um, after, you know, starting the fasting and maybe it's just in general getting healthier. Like I think when you're healthier and eating healthier and living a healthier lifestyle, like I, I do think I can um, feel them more now. Now, when I was young, I, I felt them right away. Like it was, I knew exactly when I was going low, um, which, you know, I, I know with nerve damage and same thing with my, my eyes and all of that. I mean, it's par for the course, but, um, yeah, they say, because uh, I actually spoke to my doctor about this as well, because I, I had quite a bit of hypoglycemia and awareness, and it was because I was roller coastering so much that my body just like shut down the low, the internal low alarm for me, because yeah. it was just like, you're going low, high, low, high, just all day, all night, days and weeks on end. And then once I was able to get it into a tighter range, my body was kind of able to recalibrate. And so now it understands like, hey, you're, you're outside of your normal range, which by the way, is not anything resembling what a non-diabetic would have, just in case anybody's wondering, I'm not perfect, but it's much better than it, it had been. And I don't ride the roller coaster as much. So, you know, it, it really resets you, which is, I think one of the really nice things about intermittent fasting, at least for me. Yeah. And it sounds like yeah. you've had that too, a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. So before we come up on time, I just wanted to get a sense from you. You know, there's people that listen to this podcast and maybe they've had diabetes for a really long time, type one, or maybe they're type two or pre-diabetes, something like that. What would you recommend to somebody starting out or just any tips or tricks that you have? Just anything you want to share to somebody who's maybe new and thinking about doing it. About doing the intermittent fasting? Yeah. Um, so I, I think my biggest tip would just be to not deprive yourself of things that you, you know, like you can still, you know, I know it's a problem. Sometimes people over bolus and think that they can just eat whatever they want because they can cover whatever they want. Don't do that. I'm not saying to do that, but I think with intermittent fasting, you know, it's so flexible, like we said before, that you know, even if you do want to call it fall off the wagon or you eat later into the night, like just start it back up the next day. Don't get frustrated. Like, um, you know, just keep going. And even if, even if it happens two or three days in a row, it's easy to, to start again. And it's, um, you know, you can, it, it's, it's flexible. You can eat what you want. You can, eat when you want for the most part, just make sure. I think the most important thing is that you have that fasting period, you know, that long fasting period, because I know, like I said, what, before I did intermittent fasting at all, I would eat at one or two in the morning a lot and bad foods. And then I would wake up and eat at five. That was my breakfast time or five 30. So I really had no time in my day ever where I went for a long time with, without eating. And I think for diabetics type one or type two, that period of time, that fasting period of time is really good. Like to, to reset your system, to just kind of, you know, get you ready to eat again. And so I, I guess my, my goal, my advice would be to stick with it, you know, um, give yourself whatever you need. If you like a drink of wine or something, find out how much 
insulin to cover it and just let yourself do that because, you know, in the end, I think if you don't do that, then you end up really, you know, really falling off the wagon and not being able to get back on. So, you know, I think the flexibility of it is good. And I think, um, I think we're allowed, we're diabetics, but like we're human and we're allowed to go out to eat with friends, even if it's past your fasting, you know, if it's past your eating time and you want to push your fasting um, window later, then just push your eating time later the next day. It's, it's so nice for that reason, because, um, you know, I, I read on the, on the website that, that I'm on or the Facebook group that people went out for their daughter's 25th birthday and didn't eat anything because didn't eat or drink anything and just had water and the whole family was there but the dinner came later than you know it came past their time and I was I wrote like I want to comment and say just eat like enjoy your life and and you can work around it with the intermittent fasting it, it makes it possible to to be somewhat normal <laughs> you know even though we're diabetics it makes it easier. Yeah. And I love that message. And I love that you're, you know, expounding on the virtues of the flexibility of intermittent fasting. And I need to, I'm getting better with that myself. I feel like when you're newer into intermittent fasting, you want to be, you hold to the rules a little bit more. And then as you get into it and you have confidence that you can do it, you kind of relax a little bit, which is what you've been doing. And you still know, you always yeah. have the knowing inside you that, Hey, I'm, I can do this anytime I want. I can get back on schedule. No big deal. I'm going to live my life. And I really, I just love your honesty and I appreciate everything you've said. And you're somebody that's had diabetes for such a long time. And it's, it's really been eye-opening to speak to you about that. So I know you're Thank through you. a difficult time in your life with your divorce and everything. And I just hope everything works out the way you want it Thank to. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.